Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, welcome Redemption Church. Good to be with you uh, as we walk through Acts chapter 9, the first 19 verses today. We're going to look at the conversion of Saul. And so before we jump in, uh, I just want to first say welcome to our guests that may be joining us for the first time here online. Uh, and if that's you and you live here in the Seattle area and uh, would like for us to follow up with you, would you please uh, just click the link below or uh, on our website? There, we have a connect card there that you can fill out and we'd be happy to follow up with you uh, right away. Another thing I just want to say too, right here at the beginning is just how much fun I'm having getting to work with so many different people in our church uh, over the last few weeks. It's just been really cool, whether it was with Katie this week with uh, filming the, the puppet show or Tom and making the cartoon or Dan and I making the Mr. Rogers intro or whatever. You know, it's, it's just been fun to, to get to work with with different friends and, you know, having Zach and Brian and Spencer all coming alongside Dan and helping lead worship is just so, so incredible. And now our friend Cam volunteered this week to help us, you know, with our camera work and sound so that it looks better and sounds better. Uh, and so it's just been really a special time. Uh, over these last few weeks. And so today, uh, as we jump into Acts chapter 9, uh, I just got to tell you, in study this week, I studied a lot. And it feels like I don't even know, I don't know how to comment on this passage. And it's not because there's a lack of content. It's because it is just so utterly we're talking about a miracle. We're talking about a story that literally changed the whole world. You know, I've never climbed Mount Rainier, but for, I do have friends that have, and I can only imagine that the first time they ever thought about climbing the mountain, standing at the base going, how am I going to get to the top of this? Where do you even begin? It kind of feels like that in reading the conversion of Saul. It's where do you begin? But we're going to try our best uh, with the time that we have. So today we're jumping back into the book of Acts. And so I'll tell you kind of where we've been. Um, in chapter 8, Luke took us on a brief excursion. Saul had overseen the execution of the, uh, um, uh, the man Stephen. And so uh, after Saul oversaw his execution, uh, Luke tells us a couple of other stories. He talks about Philip, the apostle who went into the region of Samaria and had a powerful ministry there. We, we got the story about Simon the magician. Then we had the story about uh, Philip being sent down the road to Gaza and leads the Ethiopian eunuch to faith. Uh, and so now we jump back in to picking up with the conversion of Saul. And so this is an account of a murdering persecutor of the church transformed by the power of God, the grace of God. And now he becomes one of the leading writers of the New Testament, planting churches all throughout the Roman Empire and proclaiming the good news of Jesus that he once sought to destroy. 
And so Luke, in fact, as the author of this book, tells Saul's conversion story three times. Here it is in chapter 9, but then later on in chapters 22 and chapter 26, it comes from Saul's mouth uh, himself. In chapter 22 and 26, they're more autobiographical, and he recounts these stories, and uh, and we'll get into those later uh, in the year. But it's repeated three times because of this incredible, it was just so divine, so miraculous, so powerful. It, It literally changed the world. And so Luke, reporting to Theophilus, is saying, man, this story, this story, this story, is so very important. So we'll begin. Verse 1 says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So first, uh, Saul, as we just said, we, he had overseen the execution of the apostle Stephen. Uh, and now not only was he seeking to persecute Christians from, you know, uh, from the city of Jerusalem, he was seeking to extinguish Christians from the face of the earth. So it wasn't enough that they get out of the city of Jerusalem. He was hunting them down, chasing them down and seeking to jail them. And so he did so with the authority of Caiaphas, the high priest. And there's a couple of things that he says here. It says that uh, he's, he's, he's breathing out threats. He's huffing, he's puffing, he's steaming, he's fuming like a, like a dragon, seeking to put these wayward Jews to death for confusing what it means to have one Lord, one God, now confessing Jesus to be the Messiah of God and one with God, seeking to put them to death because of this being considered such blasphemy. And notice, too, that it says they, they, were, they belong to the way, meaning the way of salvation, which is Jesus himself. Jesus himself even said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so that it shows up, I think, six times in the book of Acts that the followers of Jesus were first called followers of the way. And, and notice, too, that he wants to jail uh, both men and women. And that's important because the, the power of a testimony, uh, well, it's powerful. And it, regardless of whether it belongs to a male or female or Jew or Gentile or educated or uneducated, wealthy or impoverished, the power of a testimony shakes the world. And so Paul has to go, or Saul has to go after everyone, men and women. Maybe you could take some time today, like think about your testimony. Think about your story. When did you meet Jesus? What was that like? Have you ever shared that story with someone? Who would you like to share your story with? Now, as he went on his way, verse three, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. So we'll pull up a map here. Um, and as you look at the map, you'll see that this is in modern day Syria. The capital of, of Syria is Damascus. It's 135 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem. And at this time, this was considered one of the Decapolis, one of the 10 major cities in, in the empire. Uh, it was a major trade city serving both Syria and, and Egypt. And uh, 
Uh, it had a massive uh, Jewish population, lots of synagogues there. So Saul's headed there to Damascus. Um, and it says that a, a bright light shone around him. And this moment is almost beyond commentary. A bright light shines around Paul or Saul, this murderer. The glory of God shining on an evil person. The glory of God shining on an evil person. Jesus said over in, in Luke's first volume, Luke chapter 6, God is gracious and kind to the evil. Man, the glory of God was shining on an evil man. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he hears the voice. And why does Jesus say me? Saul is persecuting the church, followers of the way. Why is he saying, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus is so intimately bound up with his people. That Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride. If the bride suffers, so does the groom. You need to know this, that Jesus didn't just suffer for you on Good Friday. According to Matthew 25, he's present to your suffering even now. As often as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. As often as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Jesus is bound up even in the present suffering of his people. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? It's a, like this reverent, sir, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He knows that there's some kind of divine being. There's, there's something happening. And here we see the glorified Jesus speak for himself. The, the words that were to come next... Saul would have likely thought something maybe like, I'm Father Abraham, I'm Elijah, I'm Moses, I'm King David, uh, I'm the angel of the Lord. Any, some kind of divine reverenced figure in the Jewish faith. That would have been perhaps in Saul's mind. But he hears Jesus say, I'm Jesus. Jesus identifies himself. I don't know about you, but hearing the Son of God say his own name is beautiful. I'm Jesus. No wonder Saul went blind. <laughs> He's in the glory of God and Jesus himself says, I'm Jesus. Hmm. Maybe the Maybe in glory, maybe in glory, that's what we'll get to hear. And you hear Jesus say his own name, I'm Jesus. Mm. But rise, enter the city. You'll be, you'll be told what you're to do. So he receives instructions. And then in verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. <laughs> they hear something, they didn't see anyone. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So he's humbled, blinded, being led by the hand, completely humbled. 
And for three days, he was without sight. He neither ate nor drank. He, he just with, he abstained from eating and drinking. It was, he was repentant. He was shocked. He was fasting. He was, he was undone. Blind and now hungry and thirsty for three days. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. Um, there's, a, there's a Christian, Ananias, in Damascus. That's a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus appears to him in a vision. We don't know how Ananias became a Christian. We don't know if maybe some of the persecuted believers had come through and led him to faith, or maybe uh, followers of Jesus that left after Pentecost maybe went through. We don't, we don't know, but Ananias is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, one who belongs to the way. Jesus appears to him in a vision. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so he may regain his sight. So... Now, Jesus, in this vision, is communicating to Ananias and saying, there's someone else praying. And you need to know this, is that when Saul is praying to Yahweh, Jesus is in that room. Jesus is hearing that prayer. Jesus knows what people pray. <laughs> so he, in a vision, tells Ananias, I'm hearing and seeing a man praying right now. You need to go find him, lay your hands on him so that he can receive his sight. But Ananias objects and says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has all the authority from the, from the chief priest to, to bind all who call on your name. This man is evil. Jesus, no, this man is evil. This man is scary. This man hates people like us. He, he, he doesn't love you. He's going he's gonna to do something awful. I could lose my life going in here, getting near that guy. But Jesus says, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and to the children of Israel, saying, go anyway, go anyway. But why? Why can Ananias have faith that it's going to work out? Because Jesus assures him. Because Jesus says he's chosen. He's a chosen instrument, a chosen vessel of mine. And he's going to take my name before kings. And he does later in Acts. He's going to take my name before Gentiles, people who, who were born outside of Israel and born outside of the covenant. He's going he's to tell people about me. He's going to take, take my name to the, to the children of Israel. He's a chosen instrument of mine, Ananias. You can go. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. I've chosen Saul. I had to rewrite my sermon yesterday and uh, it hit me at about five o'clock in my laundry room reading this going, Jesus, Jesus picked Saul. Jesus chose David Jesus chose Moses. Jesus chose Peter. 
Jesus chose you. You know, and he chose Saul on his worst day. Not when he had his act together, not when he decided to start planting churches and proclaiming the gospel. That's not what got the attention of Jesus. It's not our good works that just get his attention and then he gives us salvation. In fact, it's completely the other way around. It's our bad works. And Jesus comes running toward us in grace. So, I don't know, yesterday I was just reading this and going, I just had to drop to my knees in the laundry room just, and just said very simply, you know, Jesus, thank you for choosing me. You know, of all the places and all the palaces and all the glorious, you know, environments that he could inhabit, he chose the dark corner of my heart and the darker corners of your heart. Jesus comes in to dark places and lights them up. So Jesus chose Saul and he's going to carry the name that Saul had, was presently despising. He's going to carry that name like an, like an ox. <laughs> he's going to work hard. He's not going to quit. And he's going to go all over the empire. You can go. He's going to take my name everywhere. For I'll show him how much, verse 16, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, listen, he is not going to suffer. Saul is not going to suffer because he's been so bad to Jesus and his people. Saul's not going to suffer because he has to atone for his sins now. Saul's going to suffer because he's going to fall in love with Jesus to such a degree that he'll go through anything for someone else to to get to know the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Later, Paul would say something like to Timothy, "Um, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. I'll go through anything for the church because Jesus loves the church and I'm crazy about Jesus. I love Jesus and Jesus has filled up my life. That's what he's saying. That's why he's going to suffer for my name. Why is he going to suffer? Because love suffers. Love's willing to suffer. Man, you know, if you do some digging on this passage, you'll, you might see some scholars debate back and forth. Is this a conversion or is this a uh, commissioning? (laughs) And the answer is both. (laughs) It's a conversion and a commissioning. Uh, Ben Wetherington, we'll pull this slide up on the screen. I want to read this to you. I think he's my favorite Acts. I think he's my favorite Acts commentator. He says this. Conversion should be distinguished from adhesion, which involves the acceptance of a new worship as a useful supplement and not as a substitute and does not involve the taking of a new way of life in place of the old. 
By conversion, we mean the reorientation of the soul of an individual, his deliberate turning from indifference or an earlier form of piety to another, a turning which implies a consciousness that a great change is involved, that the old was wrong and the new is right. <laughs> so you see here, uh, Jesus did not become merely a, a subpoint, a footnote, some minor role supporting actor in the drama of Paul. Jesus became the entire point of Paul's entire life. He is not a supplement. He was not to become a weekend hobby. He was not a minor tweak in his ethics or a minute theological nuance. Jesus became everything to Paul. This was an utter, complete conversion. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Listen, the first thing that Saul heard in the dark and felt was the touch of a new friend. And he calls him brother, not persecutor, murderer, something shameful, but rather he welcomes him as brother. He touches his new friend and says, Brother Saul, you're in the family of God now. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose. And the Yahweh of the old covenant is the tender Abba we now have together in the new. You're my brother. I can only imagine the, the comfort that that must have brought Saul in that moment. See, every wall that stood between Ananias and Saul had come down. They were no longer going to be enemies. They were going to be family. That's the power of Jesus in his glorious resurrection. That's the power of the love of God. Robert Tannehill Another theologian said it this way. This is so good. He says, Thus the one who is called to be a light of the nations and open the eyes of Jews and Gentiles has encountered the Messiah in light and is himself a healed blind man forced by the Messiah's light to recognize his own blindness and to receive his sight through him. <laughs> wow. And it says, Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. You know, these, these scales fall from Paul's eyes. This, like a dragon scales is what uh, one early church father talked about. Just brings you back to the huffing, puffing beast that he was. These scales now fall from his eyes. He rises, he's baptized, which is a picture of identifying with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit baptized. It's a picture of cleansing, of washing away of sin. It's a picture of being immersed into the life of God within the family of God, the church. He's baptized. Saul is baptized. He receives the Holy Spirit. And then he eats as a meal and regains his strength. 
He's now spiritually whole, physically feels strong again. And that's where this section ends today. So redemption, I just want to remind you of two things. One, about three weeks ago, uh, I got word that two kids in our church became Christians at home with their family. Um, And we're rejoicing with them. And we'll get to share their stories and, God willing, see them baptized here in our beautiful church building one day. (laughs) Just like Saul, kids are converting even now. Jesus is still working. Jesus is still building his church. I'm so looking forward to getting back together one day and being able to hear all the stories and see all the things that Jesus was doing when we couldn't be together. All the things, all the lessons we learned and to come back as the church that's been worked on by Jesus, even in the dark, and even in separation. The other thing I wanted uh, to, to just remind you of is this, is that there's nobody in your life that has gone too far. There is nobody in our city, there is nobody in our world whom Jesus cannot redeem. I want to remind you, and even encourage you to pray for those that you might have given up on and gone, they'll never become Christians. There's no way. (laughs) This account shows us that, no, God can do anything. And so maybe today you could take a moment and pray for an unbelieving friend or neighbor or coworker or family member that you might have given up on. Pray for them. Maybe even share your testimony and your story. So with that being said, thank you so much for listening today. Love you. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.